This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5:16 through 25. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desire of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nation, sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Morning, everyone. How are we? Good. Making sure I get the right music stand because you do not want me leading any music. I'm Mark McNally. I'm the director of outreach here at Schweitzer, leader of church at the center on Sunday nights. And this is the second or third time I've had the privilege of getting to preach um, here uh, in the morning. And then again on Sunday night, uh, Jake gets to do that quite a bit. It is, uh, it is awesome. It is awesome to be here with you this morning. So I want to start our message off this morning by looking at some autocorrect text. How many of you have been victim of the autocorrect thing? You're trying to type. Yeah. Okay. Well, go ahead. Raise your hand if you have. Trying to type something and something else comes out, right? And you get it sent and it's, oh, you know, you want to pull it back. Let's look at some of these. Are you coming to my New Year's party? Of course, I'll be there. Okay, cool, because I'm going to kill you at midnight. <laughs> okay, on second thought, maybe I won't go. Haha, uh-huh, I meant going to kiss you at midnight. Hello? Sorry. <laughs> Don't you wonder how, how, lo- how, many, how long there was in between those last two texts? How long did they wait? Next one. I'm sorry work is stressing you out so much, babe. Yeah, we're understaffed and overworked. You need to hire a new secretary as slutty as possible. <laughs> <laughs> what? You will not be hiring a slutty secretary. That's not even funny. Why would you even say that? Swipe meant as soon as possible. <laughs> Whoops. I had tricks for breakfast. It was so seductive. Wait, seductive. Delicate. Delicious. Stupid auto caucus. Auto cucumber. Ugh. Never mind. I had tricks this morning and it was Amazon. It was amazing. Now this person is having a real that's what, that would be struggle bus, right? Started the day on the struggle bus. I've got to tell you something. Are you sitting down? I am actually. What's up, mom? Your brother was adopted. What? What are you talking about? Why are you telling me this over a text? Call me. On this phone, I wrote accepted, and the phone changed it. He got accepted to Yale. That's fine. 
How's the morning sickness? Not too bad today. I can't believe that we're having another baby. I'm leaving you. <laughs> what? <laughs> now. I'm leaving work now. I'm not leaving you. Now I'm really going to throw up. <laughs> Your mom and I are going to divorce next month. You know some of these are off because you don't get these kind of things over tech. Well, I guess we do these days, right? What? Why? Please call. I wrote Disney and this phone changed it. We're going to Disney. How's our pregnant little daughter? Mom, how did you know? I meant perfect. Wait, what? <laughs> so God was supposedly resurrected on Easter. Yes. Well, what is, so what is Good Friday? It's the day he died for your symphony bar. Ha <laughs> ah, wow, thanks. I love chocolate. Praise him. <laughs> Praise you, daddy. I wrote sins, but you know what is funny? I wrote, I write symphony bar in my grocery list all the time. So smartphones, right? Smartphones. Where is Granny? I thought she was going to be here for Thanksgiving. Grandma's in the grave. <laughs> what? Grave? What are you saying? Oops, sorry, garage. We got one or two more. Everything okay? Haven't heard from you in a few days. Yep, sorry, Ma, I just came out of the closet. <laughs> oh, Matthew, that is great. I always had a hunch. I, I love you no matter what, and so does your father. <laughs> I'm not gay, Ma. I meant I'm coming out of the clinic now. Autocorrect. Oh, I see. But now the real issue is, you think I'm gay? All right. But that is that it, that it illustrates something that happens in the spiritual life. You're trying to do one thing, right? You're trying to do good. It says the scripture said, you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So you've got the Holy Spirit within you. Those of us that are followers of Jesus, we've been born again. The Spirit resides in our temporal, temple of the Holy Spirit. We want to do these things for God. We want to be obedient. We want to draw close to him through our thoughts and our our actions and, and our feelings, and yet we get derailed, right? Like that autocorrect, it comes out. We say something we know we shouldn't. We do something we know we shouldn't. And here comes the inner war that Paul is talking about in Galatians 5. And he also talks about this in Romans 7. Raise your hand if you're familiar with this inner war that happens in the life of a Christian. You come to faith, and does it all of a sudden just get really easy to leave the sin behind in your past and leave those things that you're tempted to fall back into or fall into for the first time? It's not. It's a struggle. It's a war. It's a fight. Paul uses the, the word fight. He's talking about this, this inner battle. He's talking about an autocorrect in our soul that happens, and it brings things out of us that we don't want to be there anymore, but they are. It's our sinful nature. Some translations use the word flesh. Now, if you're with us here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, we are glad you're here. Um, we, on Sunday night at Church at the Center, we have quite a few people that are just professing other spiritual beliefs or none at all. And um, if that's you here today, I want to ask if you would open up your heart and open up your mind to a message that is promising those who follow God, those who receive his Holy Spirit, is promising us something profound. Now, while the fruit of the Spirit, the list isn't exhaustive, Let's go through them again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness and self-control. Wow, what a life. What if our lives looked like that? What if your life could look like that? Well, we're going to look at how God makes that happen. What I want to do before we look at the how, though, is, is dig a little bit deeper into the fruit metaphor that Paul is talking about. Get it? Dig a little deeper in it? Man. All right, not using that one later tonight. So 
He uses, he uses an agricultural metaphor. Why is he doing that? Is there something intentional behind it? I would say yes. There are four things that we can learn from Paul using the metaphor of fruit of the Spirit. The first one is that the fruit of the Spirit is gradual. Did you know it takes three years when somebody starts uh, putting together a vine for a vineyard for grapes? Did you know it takes three years for a healthy vine to bear its first grapes? Three years. Paul comes to faith, and it takes him three years, it says earlier in the book of Galatians, for him to go out and do his itinerant ministry. Now, there are some things that happen whenever the Holy Spirit takes hold of us that is instant. It is. I came to faith almost nine years ago, and an addiction that I struggled with, bam, never looked back. Now I have, as Bob Cassidy says, now I have more respectable sins in my life, sins that the church looks past and God doesn't. But you know, right? We have some areas of our life where God does give us supernatural power to overcome something that is a hang-up for us, maybe unforgiveness or, or, or victimhood or something like that. And, and then uh, also substance abuse can be, bam, it's gone. It's in your past. But then there's these other things that just, they're gradual, right? The fruit grows a little slower. It comes out a little bit more over time. It's a process. So Paul is using the word fruit. What we can learn from that as you're watching your Christian life, as you're watching your Christian walk, is that we can know that most areas of our life, we're going to see gradual progress. And that that is okay. Like, think about how your children grow up, right? As your children grow, you don't actually watch them every millimeter or centimeter or inch, right? But you can measure it. You can come back over time, and man, that child is growing. No one literally watches grass grow, but you come back and you've got to mow it, right? It's grown. This is the same idea, organic. Spiritual growth is gradual. It takes time. It's going to happen in our lives over time. The second thing is the fruit of the Spirit is inevitable. Okay, now I didn't know when I came to faith, I was unchurched. I didn't know that there was a, uh, probably, honestly, I don't remember knowing much about the Trinity, but I certainly didn't know there was going to be this spiritual force, this person of the Godhead called the Holy Spirit that was going to take residence in my heart and not let go of me that he was going to hunt me down, that sin is, was no longer going to be the same for me in my life. That fruit, that the work of God in our lives is coming. If you are a true follower of Jesus, the fruit is coming. It'll be gradual, but it's coming. You see, on Sunday nights, again, at Church at the Center, I've got a lot of stories. This is where we've lived for the past three years. But we have a lot of what we call jailhouse religion. We have a lot of people uh, re-entering from incarceration, and it's called jailhouse religion because whenever life gets hard and you're down and out, and this doesn't have to happen in a jail cell, but you hit rock bottom and God looks real good, right? Like, yes, yes, and they're on the front row in church and their hands are up and yes, and we're going all the way. And then three weeks later, well, where's so-and-so? And so what we do is we look at the fruit. We look for fruit. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And over time, a bad tree is not going to start bearing good fruit. And over time, a good tree is not going to start bearing bad fruit. Therefore, you will know them by their fruits. So what I love about uh, the idea of the fruit of the Spirit being inevitable is over time, you're going to see it. You're going to see it come out in a believer's life. And you're going to see it come out in your own life. And that should give us a lot of hope. So that we're not confused on this idea of faith and fruit and salvation, in terms of salvation. Tim Keller has a quote that I love. 
and it says, you are not saved by fruit, you are saved by faith, but you will never be saved by fruitless faith. Read that again. You are not saved by fruit, you are saved by faith, but you will never be saved by fruitless faith. How many of you were here for our James series recently? James beats this, this is a drumbeat in the James series, is that faith without works is dead. So we're gonna see faith, or we're gonna see fruit in the life of a believer. The third thing is the fruit of the Spirit is internal. In the book, um, Holy Spirit is With You, another book written by lead pastor Bob Cassidy. If you don't have one of these, there are still some on the connection table. This is a, a daily devotional resource um, as well, so please pick up one of these. But in this chapter, he calls the fruit of the Spirit, the work of God, as an inside job. I love that, that idea. It's an inside job. It's something that, that is working in us before it ever works out of us and through us into the lives of other people and into the world. So I've got a picture of a, a grapevine here. And what I love about this, this grapevine is we see that that fruit is coming off of the branch because of work that is being done internally that you can't see, right? You can't see the roots. You can't see all of what's going on inside the vine. Can't even see all of what's going on inside the branch, but here's this fruit. It's the same way in the life of a believer. This stuff is happening in us and it's eternal and it's internal and it's organic. See, I can tell you a lot of times in my life, the works that I, that I give, my external actions, my Spiritual, my religious activities look a lot more like this. A pile of rocks. Got another slide. Now, when you see somebody who is very busy in church, they, they help a lot of people. They're reading their scripture a lot. Maybe they're memorizing a lot of scripture. They've got all of these religious checklists, but you don't see love. You don't see faithfulness. You don't see self-control. You don't see patience. You don't see goodness. You don't see the fruit of the Spirit in their external life, it's likely that they're piling up rocks. I know whenever I lose the fruit of the Spirit in, in the external expression of my Christian walk, but I'm still busy. Well, I work on church staff, right? So I better be busy. But you're still busy trying to live the Christian life. It's most likely that I'm piling up a big old pile of rocks. Now, what do we, what do we know about the pile of rocks? It's not organic, is it? There's nothing in there that's giving life. There's nothing in there that's growing. It's just a pile of rocks. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul gives a list of good things. Now, in Galatians 5, Paul's list is a little bit more on the bad, bad thing side. But in 1 Corinthians 13, um, love is patient, love is kind, love is... And then he gets into the, if I sell all of my possessions and give them to, to the poor, but I have not love... It's worth nothing. What's he saying there? He's saying the same thing Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where there are people on Judgment Day, he says, that will say, whoa. People on Judgment Day that will say, Lord, didn't we do all these mighty works in your name? Didn't we pile up the rocks? And Jesus will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. He doesn't argue with them. He doesn't say that they didn't do a lot of mighty works. He doesn't say that they didn't get some religious activities done. He doesn't dispute that at all. But he says, I never knew you. Jesus says you were doing religious activity, 
but you weren't allowing my spirit to change you internally. So the fruit of the spirit is an inside job. The fruit of the spirit is also whole. I love that Paul uses the, the singular when he does fruit of the spirit. Any English teachers in here? Nope, I didn't think so. If there was, I, I was, right, yeah. Does that bother you, the fruit of the spirit? And then he lists nine of them? Nah, you, you're, you're over it, man. You've been in church for a long time. <laughs> well, why doesn't he say fruits of the spirit? There's nine of them. Why is it singular on the fruit, but he lists in the plural? He does this very intentionally because the fruit of the spirit is whole. And if we think about that logically, it, it should make a lot of sense. For example, if we say that we have self-control, but we're not patient, does that make any sense? It doesn't. If we say we are joyful, like I've got this joy bubbling up from the Holy Spirit inside my life, but I just can't be kind to anyone. It's really bizarre. I just don't like people. <laughs> I've got the joy of God, but I don't like people, so I can't be kind to them. Can we say that we're loving, but not faithful? Like I truly love people. I love the closest people to me in my life. I love them so much. I gossip behind their back, and I'm unfaithful, and, you know, doesn't make sense, does it? What I want us to do on this is understand that if we were to make, put the nine in a Google spreadsheet or if we were to put it on a sheet of paper, we might see that some of those nine are more of a reality in our spiritual life than others. We would. They probably wouldn't all assess out at the same level. But we have to believe that when God takes a hold of our lives, when, as the scripture says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life, when that's happening, you have access to all of the power of God. You have access to all of the fruit of the Spirit. God wants all of it to be flowing out of you after it's been growing inside you. So be patient, but be expectant. Be expectant for the Holy Spirit to bring a package deal. Don't look at the, at the fruit of the Spirit as individual attributes in your life. So how? I love when messages get to application. I wanna know how to put legs on this thing, how to put feet on it, get the shoes on, and go walk this thing out. Well, the way we do that is we look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Another area that Jesus is talking, or that the Bible is talking about fruit. In John 15, verses 1 through 8, Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings, you great, this brings great glory to my Father. So this is sandwiched in between two other chapters on either side of it. John chapter 13 to chapter 17 is known as the final discourse. This, John is recording the last words on the day before the crucifixion that Jesus would share with his disciples. And he gets to this point, and, and what he knows is that they're going to try 
to run away, that they're going to try to give up, that they're going to be discouraged, that they're going to doubt, they're going to wonder if any of this was true. They're going to wonder if Jesus was the son, was the Messiah and the son of God. So he's trying to remind them to stay connected to me. When you don't see me, when you don't feel me, when I don't seem near, remain in me. Remain in me. Some translations say abide or stay. Stay in me. Now, I love how he's using the word fruit here as well, just as Paul did. Because if we could show this, uh, show this graphic. Now, this took me days, days to draw. I didn't draw this. I have no art or music skills, either one. Confession. But what I love about this graphic is how when I get to this point, you've got the vine, that's Jesus. You've got the disciple, that's us, those of us that follow Jesus. And what we try to do when we're doing that pile of rocks is, here we are, we're trying to do this. The branch is trying to make the fruit happen. That's what happens so oftentimes in our spiritual life. When we allow our sinful nature, even for good works or bad works, to take over, we're trying to produce the fruit. When what we see from this metaphor, from what we see from this illustration is the disciple has got to remain connected to the vine. That's the source of life. Right there, your job on a daily basis, if not hourly basis, I love the worship song, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. We have, our job as disciples is to remain connected to the vine and allow the spirit to produce the fruit. This is a great visual of what our role is as followers of Jesus. It is not to go out and try harder to be better or try harder to even stop not being good. Our job is to remain connected to Christ, continually connected to Jesus. I love how in verse eight, it says that we will bear much fruit if we are his true disciples. And that do we get the glory? No, our father gets the glory in heaven. I love the first words of the book that Rick Warren wrote years ago, The Purpose Driven Life. The first four words of that book, does anybody remember what they were? It's not about you. It's not about you. We tend to look at our fruit and we tend to see how it's benefiting our life, our internal life, our relationships. Yes, it does that. It benefits us. It's a good thing to walk in the Holy Spirit, to produce the fruit of the Spirit. But is it about us? Is it ultimately entirely for us? No. That's why I also love the illustration. If we could put it up there, the person that illustrated this didn't leave out what happens when the fruit has been fully born. It doesn't just feed itself, does it? It doesn't just keep this whole cycle of, you know, on the, on the branch forever. It comes off the branch and it feeds the world. It feeds those that are hungry and thirsty for the, for the wine. Your life is meant by God to be poured out wine. Paul references that in another area. You are meant to, to live the fruit of the spirit that benefits you, but that isn't about you. It's about others and it's about God. So there's, there's two specific applications I want us to take out of here today. The first one is that when we fight for the fruit of the Spirit, when we try to overcome that autocorrect and never send another 
spiritual autocorrect again. We have got to do that by remaining in the hard times. The context of John 15 is that it's going to get hard for them to stay connected to him, and he's encouraging them. And is he grabbing them one by one? I'm about to do um, student-teacher conferences uh, for Mason, and they bring each parent in one at a time. You know how they do that? They kind of shuffle them in. You do that in doctor's offices too. This is not the way Jesus teaches and preaches and disciples. He does it in community. He does it, he's talking to his disciples, and he's telling them, Remain in me. All of you together, remain in me. Think about the fruit metaphor again. Are there branches that are just all shooting off rogue, maverick branches that are going in their own direction by themselves? They're not. The grapevine, the branches of a grapevine are all intertwined. They're all interconnected. They're all wound together. Jesus and Paul knew this. We suffer from not being an agrarian culture, so we miss the metaphor sometimes, but He's telling us we've got to stay connected, that we will not remain in hard times if we don't do it together. A lot of you isolate. When hard times come, when trial hits, many of you just pull away. Relationships get harder. You've got to talk about uncomfortable things. You don't want to be vulnerable. You just, you back away. And what happens is you lose what God intends to have happen when you, a branch, are intertwined with the other branches. And the father is coming in and he's pulling the dead branches away, but he's leaving the live ones to be together. This is an amazing picture of what God is calling us to do. And so what I wanna uh, do is ask you this week to reach out to one Christian that you trust and encourage them, at least one, and encourage them to remain connected to the vine this week. At uh, Church at the Center, we're receiving back a, a woman named Milena. Milena Waxler has spent uh, six months in jail and prison. She was baptized at Church at the Center last year and being discipled at Church at the Center, and she had a rough go, and she ended up going away, and she stayed connected the entire time to this faith community. Called Caitlin, called me multiple times a week. We, we worked with her. We made sure that she was in the Bible studies she needed to get into. She was living in Marshfield when she was worshiping here, so that was difficult. And when um, she was getting out, we got her into New Beginnings, which is the sober living program that we partner with, and she lives in Springfield now. First Sunday back tonight, and we are so excited that she's made it through that six months, and she's stronger on the other side of it. She is not turning back, she says, to codependent relationships. She's not turning back to the substances. She's not turning back to the tendency to isolate herself when times get hard. And we're excited to have her back. What can you do to encourage someone else? What can you do to remain in hard times with those in your Christian life? The second application is to fight for the fruit of the Spirit by remembering the words of God. In verse 7 of John 15, Jesus says, if my words remain in you, if my words remain in you, now, Jesus had this supernatural ability to memorize scripture, right? No. It says that he was fully human in every way, just like you and I, yet did not sin. Jesus had to receive the Holy Spirit. At the baptism, John the Baptist baptizes him. He comes up, and he receives the Holy Spirit, and before that, he had not gone out and done itinerant ministry yet. Jesus needed to grow 
He needed to know the scriptures, and he knew the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. From the time after his baptism, he went out into the wilderness, and Satan comes and tempts him three times. And what does Jesus use? In all three rebuttals to Satan, what does he use? Scripture. Now, do you think Jesus had his scrolls out in the wilderness? He didn't have a water bottle. He didn't have a lunch bag. Maybe he had some scrolls. And he's like, wait, 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 Satan. Somewhere in Isaiah. No, 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 no. Ezekiel. No, he didn't. He said, man cannot live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. He's quoting from the scriptures because he has them in here and he has them in here. Jesus is hanging up on the cross and when he's hanging up on the cross to die for your sins and to die for my sins, he's quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now many people wrestle with that. What is Jesus saying? Did, did the father forsake him and turn his face away from him? There's a lot of debate on that. But it's word for word Psalm 22, 1. And if you keep reading in Psalm 22, you see this messianic, prophetic scripture about the crucifixion itself. You know what I think Jesus was doing? I think he felt forsaken. I don't think the Father forsook him, but I think he felt it. He felt the weight of our sin and everyone's sins who have ever lived on his shoulders. He felt the eternal result of sin. So he felt forsaken. I think also what Jesus was doing in that moment was pointing us to the word of God. He was saying, look in Psalm 22. That's what's happening right here, right now. Go, look. I'm the Messiah. Now Jesus had it here. We're in a age, right? We want everything quick. We want stuff on our smartphones. We want to be able to access information quickly, but we don't want to hold on to any of it because we really don't need anything long-term. Scripture memorization has become a lost art. But I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you this morning to start memorizing Scripture. Start this week. And I'm going to give you an app to use. (laughs) So use your smartphones. It's okay. I started using this. Uh, Jake Hotchkiss turned me on to this one. It's called Scripture Typer. Now, this would be an appropriate time for you to get your, your smartphones out in worship. It's okay. I'm going to assume you're not looking at Facebook now. And uh, Scripture Typer, I started Galatians 5, 16 and 17, three days ago, and I've almost got it. I'm, I'm really excited about how quickly this thing helps you learn to memorize Scripture. So if we could go to the next slide. What it does, it's got a couple little tools that it uses to plug gaps. So you'll go through it where you, can, you, you type in the first letter of every word, and as you go through it, it like bolds them out. And then as you start to know it a little better, it's got this function that blanks them out. And then you do it, and then you do it again, and it's different blanks. And what it's doing, it's constantly giving you the ability to remember what was there before. So let's see. This could be really embarrassing. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit gives us desires that the sinful, that are the opposite of what 
these sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your intentions. Three days. That's exciting, right? It really works. And I had the kids for three days while my wife was at a conference in St. Louis, so it wasn't like I just vegged on Scripture Typer. I want to really, really encourage you to get the Word of God in here and get it in here because trial is coming. Trial and temptation is coming into your life or you're just coming out of it. It's a reality. It's where we live in a fallen world. And I promise whenever it gets hard in the moment, you're not going to have time. Your sinful nature is weak and the enemy is working hard and you won't have time to go index it from your phone or from your bookshelf. Get it in here.